0: and welcome to episode 10 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Harrod, and today is a special episode to commemorate my favourite author, Richard Adams. I'll be doing a reading from his novel, My Favourite Watership Down, and I'll also be summarising my year of 2016 in reading, talking about my favourite books and some of my reading stats. But first, book updates. <laughs> So the main thing you probably want to hear about in book updates, if you listened to the last episode where we installed a street library, is how is the street library going? Well I'm very happy to say that out of all my book experiments, this one has definitely gone the best. It's been up for nearly a month, and not only is it still standing without any vandalism at all, but we've actually had a few people drop by and leave books, borrow books, and even write in the guest book, so I am delighted. I have to say though, not very many people came along to the book launch, um, but that was okay, there were a couple of my neighbours and my boyfriend's mum, and um, I managed to talk to a couple of people who were walking past and tell them all about it. I also thought it would be clever to put some candy canes in the street library over Christmas. But not only did nobody come and take the candy canes, within a couple of days the library was full of ants. So if you're thinking about installing a street library yourself, which you absolutely should, um, and listen to episode 9 if you want some tips on how to do that, don't fill it with sugar. It'll get filled with insects. Anyway... There is a pretty diverse range of books hanging out in there, so if you live in Canberra, come and check it out. Speaking of libraries, there is actually quite a lot of library news this episode. First up is some National Library of Australia news. The National Library of Australia has launched its brand new online magazine called Unbound. This magazine will be all about the National Library's latest acquisitions, new research into collection treasures, and what goes on behind the scenes. This magazine is replacing the quarterly print NLA magazine, and the December 2016 edition of Unbound is available for free online, and the theme of the first edition is Adventures in Asia. The National Library is also being granted a budget of $16.4 million over four years to upgrade the digital resources portal, known as the Trove, which includes digitizing material that they had previously relied on contributors to upload at their own cost. The Trove is the fourth most used Commonwealth website with over 55,000 visitors a day. A cat who lives in a library in a town called White Settlement in Texas, USA, has outlasted the councillor who tried to who, who tried to evict him. Browser, a grey tabby cat who was rescued as a kitten from a shelter to keep the mice at bay, caused a bit of a stir when a city worker wasn't allowed to bring her puppy to work at City Hall. When the issue made it to the White Settlement City Council, Councillor Clement was the only one to cast his vote against Browser. When the councillor was soundly defeated in a November election, Mayor Ron White said that Browser is library cat for life and will continue his duties as mascot and reading helper for children at the White Settlement Library. In Delhi, India, the Hardayal Municipal Public Library, which was established in 1862, has been approved for a restoration project with the Indian National Trust for Art and Cultural Heritage, The restoration will include cosmetic restoration to the library building, as well as digitization and preservation of the library's collection, which includes over 8,000 rare historical books. The budget for the project is around 30 million rupees, which is about 600,000 Australian dollars. Also, today I learned that India has its own numbering system. Back in the USA, but still on library news, acclaimed act- actor Denzel Washington made news when he celebrated the 99th birthday of his childhood librarian, Connie Marrow. Denzel Washington never forgot the day Miss Connie handed him his first library card at age seven at the Mount Vernon Public Library in New York. Now, you might remember last month, we talked about a Sydney library who received a book back after it was over 40 years overdue. I thought that that was pretty impressive. But last month, the record was topped. A school book that was borrowed in the 1890s has been returned 120 years later to the Hereford Cathedral School in the UK. Arthur Boycott had borrowed a copy of The Microscope and Its Revelations by Dr. William B. Carpenter. And although he never returned the book, he did go on to become a renowned pathologist and naturalist. His granddaughter discovered the book after sorting through a collection of 6,000 books after her husband's death. She returned the book, that still had an HCS library stamp inside the cover, with a note that read, I'm sorry to inform you that one of your former pupils, Professor A.E. Boycott, FRS, appears to have stolen the enclosed. I can't imagine how the school has managed without it. No fine was issued. Continuing on the theme of returned books, 87-year-old cameraman and retired journalist Don Abbey left his car keys on the roof of his car while looking at the roses in, in his garden in early December. Within moments, somebody had used the keys to open his car and take a plastic bag from inside. The plastic bag contained USB sticks and notebooks. Three years of work on the Sri Lankan and Australian journalist's memoir. After a public appeal, the plastic bag was returned the following week, and now Mr Abbey can continue pursuing his goal of getting his memoirs published. He said he had no hard feelings about the theft, and he was just grateful his documents were returned. In publishing news, you might remember all the way back in Episode 3, we talked about the recommendations of the Productivity Commission report to overhaul current copyright laws in Australia with regards to publishing books. One of the recommendations was to get rid of parallel importation laws, which prevent books from being imported from overseas if Australian publishers gain the rights within 30 days of the books being released. Australian authors and publishers have kicked up a huge fuss about the proposed changes, which they argue would undercut the Australian local market. Although the current Liberal government supports the recommendations in principle, the Labour opposition leader Bill Shorten has spoken out against these changes. He stated that it would result in fewer jobs in the publishing industry and fewer books being published by Australian authors, such as what happened in the New Zealand market. Author Jackie French, one of the biggest opponents to the proposed changes, has said that her iconic Australian book Diary of a Wombat would never have been published because international publishers wouldn't have taken a risk on an Australian book. Also in Books and Politics, it's been revealed that federal politicians have been charging taxpayers for their book purchases. Queensland Senator Barry O'Sullivan bought four pro-life books, one pro-abortion book, and a book on the history of the contraceptive pill. I guess now is as good a time as any to learn how contraception works. Minister James McGraw bought a book on how to be a minister, a 21st century guide, shortly after being promoted to the front bench. He unironically said that he bought the book to learn how to do his job. Then, Attorney General George Brandis used parliamentary expenses to buy a slew of books that criticized the former Prime Minister Tony Abbott's government, as well as books to learn about his own party. Good to see that our leaders are trying to educate themselves but somewhat concerning that they're doing it on the fly. There is a lot of book adaptation news, and one of the most exciting things for me is the release of the trailer for the film Jasper Jones. Based on the Australian novel of the same name by Craig Sylvie and starring Tony Collette and Hugo Weaving, it looks like it's going to be a cracker of an Aussie film. It'll be in cinemas on the 2nd of March this year. The next exciting adaptation is the TV series of Margaret Atwood's famous novel The Handmaid's Tale, and photos have been released of the show and it looks really, really good. Starring Elizabeth Moss and Orange is the New Black's Samira Wiley. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. Then there is the BBC radio adaptation of Neil Gaiman's fairy tale Stardust. It's available to stream for free online, but only for around 11 more days. Beautiful story about a young man who crosses his village's forbidden boundary to find a fallen star and discover a magic world. In book release news, acclaimed Japanese author Haruki Murakami has announced that he is releasing his next novel in Japan in February without any further information about the title, the theme, or a specific release date. Murakami is well known for avoiding the public eye, and all that was provided on his website was a photograph of two blank white books with a caption that read, Coming soon in February 2017. Very mysterious. It's not clear when, or even if, this book will be available outside Japan. As always, it wouldn't be book news without at least one Harry Potter story, and this month there were three. J.K. Rowling has confirmed that she is currently working on two novels, one under her own name and one under her pen name, Robert Galbraith. She's also finalizing the screenplay for the second Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them film. Then, a handwritten copy of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter companion book, The Tales of Beedle the Bard, has been sold by auction for $620,000. Rowling handmade six books personally inscribed as gifts for people who had helped her get Harry Potter off the ground. This copy was for her first publisher and was sold to an anonymous bidder over the phone. I think the thing that amazes me the most is that someone would sell that book. I love collecting signed editions of books personally inscribed to me, and I'm not sure what value that would have to someone else. In fact, if JK Rowling hand wrote a book specifically for me, you would have to pry that out of my cold, dead fingers. Anyway, I guess the value for this book in this instance was $620,000, so I don't know, maybe that publisher went bust. Finally, there was the heartwarming and tear-inducing story of the premature baby called Juniper, who, at 23 weeks gestation, was struggling to stay alive. In an act of desperation, and so she didn't miss out in her short life on what her brothers had grown up with, her father started reading Chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived, of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. He read and read, and the more he read, the more she improved, and after hearing about Juniper's story on the radio, J.K. Rowling was so touched that she contacted Juniper's mom, Kelly. Sometime afterwards, the full set of Harry Potter books arrived for Juniper, now aged five years old, The Girl Who Lived. December is definitely the month of giving, and in Iceland there exists what now has become my favourite tradition, Jallabokka flood, or the Christmas book flood. Every year, Iceland, the country that publishes the most books per capita in the world, there is a tradition that people buy books for their loved ones during the pre-Christmas months, when most of Iceland's books are released. And then, on Christmas Eve, they exchange books with each other and spend the night reading and eating chocolate. I desperately wanted to do this on Christmas Eve, however I share a house with only my partner, our dog and our two rabbits. And he hadn't bought me a book this year, which you might think is appalling, but he did buy me shoes with wheels on them, so I forgive him. Nevertheless, I bought him a new Brandon Sanderson collection of stories, and I had plenty of my own books to read. So I gave him his book, watched him open it with glee, and then went back to what I normally do in the evenings, reading. However, Christmas Eve wasn't a completely joyous evening this year. A couple of days after Christmas, the sad news broke that Richard Adams, my favorite author, had died peacefully on Christmas Eve at the age of 96. I had known that Richard was very elderly, and I had in fact sent him a fan letter earlier this year to make sure that I got to tell him just how much his books mean to me. When I was a kid, I read lots of books, but there were three books that I read over and over. White Fang by Jack London, Black Beauty by Anna Sewell, and Watership Down, by Richard Adams. From a young age I took a keen interest in animal welfare and Watership Down taught me a lot about how a novel can be beautifully written, timeless and still have an important message. I've gone through multiple copies of the old 1970s paperback Penguin edition of Watership Down and they always end up breaking into pieces. One copy I tried to salvage with duct tape and my current copy I've just let it exist in six parts. Richard Adams is probably also partly responsible for my great love of rabbits, though I think Beatrix Potter and Lewis Carroll both played a part in that as well. Some months later, I received a letter back from Richard's granddaughter, who apologised for the delay, though I felt like it was a really speedy response from the UK all the way to Australia, and said that Richard didn't have so many good days, and I liked to wait until he was feeling okay before reading him his letters and responding. I was so touched to get a response, and I will, ch- I will cherish that letter forever. Anyway, in memory of Richard Adams, I'm going to read a passage from Watership Down, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Chapter 6. The Story of the Blessing of El Herrera. Why should he think me cruel? Or that he is betrayed? I'd have him love the thing that was, before the world was made. W.B. Yeats, A Woman Young and Old Long ago, Frith made the world. He made all the stars too, and the world is one of the stars. He made them by scattering his droppings over the sky, and this is why the grass and trees grow so thick on the world. Frith makes the brooks flow. They follow him as he goes through the sky, and when he leaves the sky they look for him all night. Frith made all the animals and birds, but when he first made them, they were all the same. The sparrow, the sparrow and the kestrel were friends, and they both ate seeds and flies. And the fox and the rabbit were friends, and they both ate grass. And there was plenty of grass and plenty of flies, because the world was new, and frith shone down bright and warm all day. Now, El was among the animals in those days, and he had many wives. He had so many wives that there was no counting them, and the wives had so many young that even Frith could not count them. And they ate the grass and the dandelions and the lettuces and the clover, and Elahreira was the father of them all. Bigwig growled appreciatively. After a time, went on Dandelion, after a time the grass began to grow thin, and the rabbits wandered everywhere, multiplying and eating as they went. Then Frith said to Elahreira, "'Prince Rabbit, if you cannot control your people, I shall find ways to control them, so mark what I say.' But El would not listen, and he said to Frith, "'My people are the strongest in the world, for they breed faster and eat more than any of the other people. "'And this shows how much they love Lord Frith, for of all the animals, "'they are the most responsive to his warmth and brightness. "'You must realise, my lord, how important they are, and not hinder them in their beautiful lives.' Frith could have killed Elorera at once, but he had a mind to keep him in the world because he needed him to sport and jest and play tricks. So he determined to get the better of him not by means of his own great power, but by means of a trick. He gave out that he would hold a great meeting and that at that meeting he would give a present to every animal and bird to make each one different from the rest. And all the creatures set out to go to the meeting place, but they all arrived at different times because Frith... "'made sure that it would happen so. "'And when the blackbird came, he gave him his beautiful song. "'And when the cow came, he gave her sharp horns "'and the strength to be afraid of no other creature. "'And so in their turn came the fox and the stoat and the weasel, "'and to each of them Frith gave the cunning and the fierceness "'and the desire to hunt and slay and eat the children of El "'And so they went away from Frith, "'full of nothing but hunger, to kill the rabbits.' Now, all this time, El was dancing and mating and boasting that he was going to Frith's meeting to receive a great gift. And at last he set out for the meeting place. But as he was going there, he stopped to rest on a soft sandy hillside. And while he was resting, over the hill came flying a dark swift, screaming as he went, "'News! News! News!' For you know, this is what he has said ever since that day. So El called up to him and said, "'What news?' Why, said the swift, I would not be you, El Arrera, for Frith has given the fox and the weasel cunning hearts and sharp teeth, and to the cat he has given silent feet and eyes that can see in the dark, and they are gone away from Frith's place, to kill and devour all that belongs to Elrera. And he dashed on over the hills, and at that moment Elrera heard the voice of Frith calling, Where is Elrera? For all the others have taken their gifts and gone, and I have come to look for him. Then El Arrera knew that Frith was too clever him for him, and he was frightened. He thought that the fox and the weasel were coming with Frith, and he turned to the face of the hill and began to dig. He dug a hole, but he had dug only a little of it when Frith came over the hill alone. And he saw El Arrera's bottom sticking out of the hole, and the sand flying out in showers as the digging went on. When he saw that, he called out, "'My friend, have you seen El Arrera? For I am looking for him, to give him my gift.' No, answered Elarera, without coming out. I have not seen him. He is far away. He could not come. So Frith said, Then come out of that hole, and I will bless you instead of him. No, I cannot, said El Arrera. I am busy. The fox and the weasel are coming. If you want to bless me, you can bless my bottom, for it is sticking out of the hole. All the rabbits had heard the story before. On winter nights, when the cold draft moved down the warren passages, and the icy wet lay in the pits of the runs below their burrows, "'and on summer evenings in the grass under the red may "'and the sweet carrion-scented elderbloom. "'Dandelion was telling it well, "'and even Pipkin forgot his weariness and danger "'and remembered instead the great indestructibility of the rabbits. "'Each one of them saw himself as El Herrera, "'who could be impudent to Frith and get away with it. "'Then,' said Dandelion, "'Frith felt himself in friendship with El Herrera "'because of his resourcefulness "'and because he would not give up "'even when he thought the fox and the weasel were coming.' And he said, Very well, I will bless your bottom as it sticks out of the hole. Bottom, be strength and warning and speed forever, and save the life of your master. Be it so. And as he spoke, El Herrera's tail grew shining white and flashed like a star, and his back legs grew long and powerful, and he thumped the hillside until the very beetles fell off the grass stems. He came out of the hole and tore across the hill faster than any creature in the world. And Frith called after him, Elerera, your people cannot rule the world, for I will not have it so. All the world will be your enemy, Prince with a thousand enemies, and whenever they catch you, they will kill you. But first they must catch you, Digger, Listener, Runner, Prince with the Swift Warning. Be cunning and full of tricks, and your people shall never be destroyed. And Elerera knew that although he would not be mocked, Yet Frith was his friend, and every evening when Frith has done his day's work and lies calm and easy in the red sky, El and his children, and his children's children, come out of their holes and feed and play in his sight, for they are his friends, and he has promised them that they can never be destroyed. That was a reading from Watership Down by Richard Adams, and if you haven't read it already, I highly, highly recommend it. So December Reads! I managed to squeeze in a bunch of books over December and finished off eight in total. First up was The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. Historical fiction set in Victorian England, I was a bit disappointed by this one. It had all the elements for a good story, but there was way too much focus on the boring romance and not enough focus on the genius surgeon character or the cryptozoology. Then there was a review request, a modern fantasy book called Dream Waters by Erin A. Jensen. The first in a series, this book was compelling reading and I whipped through the story. Next I read the eye-opening non-fiction book The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu by Joshua Hammer and it was absolutely fascinating reading about the hidden ancient texts of the African city and the incredible effort to protect them during occupation by Islamic extremists. Then there were three more review requests. The first was a highly detailed biography of of a former Turkish diplomat's wife turned boxing camp trainer, Madame Bey, by Jean Pantalone. Then there were two Christmas books, one a children's book called The Day My Fart Followed Santa Up the Chimney, which was a uh, slightly offbeat educational book about the Christmas tradition, and the other a really enjoyable modern romance called Tis the Season by Olivia Fulmer Ard. I finally got around to reading The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende and it was just as brilliant as everybody had told me. And then I finished up the year with the young adult novel The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness and it was a clever spoof on the genre as well as being a powerfully understated novel about sexuality and mental health and belonging. So for 2016 I managed to read a pretty solid 73 books and 90.4% of those I had read for the first time. I managed to do really well on my goal of reading more non-fiction, more than doubling last year's efforts at 17.9%. 50.7% were written by men, so I didn't quite meet my goal of reading more books by women or people who are gender diverse, but I think part of that was a lot of the non-fiction books I read were actually by men, so that maybe I can readjust that genre a bit this year. Um, I did really well at reading more diversely and managed to read books by authors from 15 different countries, with 20.5% by somebody who was ethnically or linguistically diverse from me. Finally, 38.4% of the books I read had queer content, which was another thing I was trying to read more about. My top reads of the year were the four books by Chinese writer Yan Lianka, Brazilian graphic novel Day Tripper, the incredible International Man Booker Prize-winning book The Vegetarian by Korean author Han Kang, Speaking Out, a 21st handbook for women and girls by Tara Moss, Small Things, a graphic novel by Mel Gonning, who committed suicide before it was completed, the phenomenal book The Hate Race by Maxine Beniba-Clark about growing up black in Australia, post-Holocaust graphic novel Mouse, and, like I mentioned earlier, The House of the Spirits by Chilean writer Is- Isabel Allende. So my reading goals for the new year are, number one, to read 75 books, number two, to keep trying to read more books by women people, and people of a different cultural, eth- cultural, ethnic and linguistic background to me, there we go, got there in the end, three, to read books from every continent, four, to keep reading more non-fiction, and five, to read more books about disability. Alright readers, that's it from me. If you want to find out more about anything we've chatted about today, check out the links in the show notes, and you can also find some of my reading graphs in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of Lost the Plot in February.